What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Fight HQ preview for UFC 287, which goes down tomorrow night here at my home state of Florida down there in South Florida, which you know means we could have some bad judging, Pete. <laughs> what a way to kick it off. Um, yeah, it, it could be an interesting card. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us. Um, surprised you're not going to the event, Jason. I looked, me and, me and the fellas thought, then we saw those ticket prices, and we said, yep, we'll watch that show here in Tampa. Really, huh? Dude, it was like $600 for the last row in the upper deck. Yeah, forget that. Forget that. Dude, That's, I, I, I look, we both love combat sports, but the one thing that has happened with the UFC over the last year is they have, the, the and look, they're getting these, these ticket points, but it's hard for me, even someone, you know, who I feel like I live a comfortable lifestyle that goes, I can't justify that. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, especially if you wanted to go with some friends and family, you know, that's, that's crazy. Um, you know, it, it's nice when you're working media because you get to, to, you know, go and watch the events and, and, you know, and then uh, cover the sport. But as far as like going and, and casually hanging out, man, it's expensive. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's because that's the Masvidal card and it's it's in Florida. Typically, Florida cards are, are very weird, right? They're very weird. They're, they're hit or miss. And I, I think having a guy with Masvidal's type of star power on the card is why they're they're kind of astronomical ticket prices. I mean, look, and overall, it's a great fight card. I mean, let's let's talk about it. You know, top to bottom, it's a great fight card. You know, before we kind of start getting into breaking the fights, of course, we'll be here for the next hour. Appreciate everyone tuning in here. If you're watching us live here on YouTube or if you're watching or listening to us after the fact, we appreciate that as well. Of course, a great way to show your support for what me and Pete are doing here. Hit that subscribe button, whether you're watching us on YouTube or if you're listening to us on the podcast channels, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, rate, review. We do appreciate that. If, and of course, if you're watching us after the fact, you got a comment, I'll leave those in the comment section. My Myself or Pete, we'll get back to you once. Uh, yeah, I'm always checking that. Usually Friday nights or my night, we're uh, you know enjoying a couple of uh, cocktails, and uh, you know, so I'm, look, I'll, I might be sitting in the bar just you know seeing what those comments might be. But uh, we appreciate everyone tuning in. You know, as I as we look at kind of the DFS aspect of this fight card, top to bottom, look, I think tough to avoid the main event in GPPs. Um, I, well, well, I'll talk about my game theory in terms of the main event when we start talking about that main event here in a little bit there's a couple of fights i just look at from a ceiling aspect that i kind of question whether we can get to 100 points we're talking about a 13 fight card yanyas fonts one of them uh gaslam curtis is another one of them on, on DraftKings, i don't know how the hell you get to chase sherman at 8800 broken price tag because of the fight change there and the ufc doing him absolutely no favors and uh, a complete drastic change of style between the two opponents of chris barnett to carl williams and then of course on the fanduel side of the fight jacqueline broken price tag if you're playing on fanduel tomorrow it's gonna be kind of hard not to just throw her into a lineup at eleven dollars. Um, but I, I do think that you know. But then, like, I really like Gilbert Burns to win. But I'm like, God, much easier for me to get there on a Fanduel slate than is it to get me on a DraftKings slate at ninety six hundred. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a it's a weird type of DFS card, and I have to be honest, it's not my favorite. Like, I, I like the card from a, a viewing aspect. I like the card from a betting aspect. Um, trying to take it fight by fight, not getting too uh, too greedy when it comes to parlays because I do think that there are some interesting underdogs here that could come through and 
Um, there aren't too many confident underdogs. I have uh, several of them circled with the correct game plan and the correct mm-hmm. path to victory. They can actually go out there and spoil the uh, the fight for their opponent. It's just like it's a weird week for me, and I think the salaries are kind of screwing up. So what that's doing is it's funneling ownership to fighters that naturally wouldn't be as concentrated, and it's kind of screwing some things up. And you know, you have a massive, massive leverage play in Chase Sherman at 8,800. Uh, I'm not getting there. Uh, I'm just not going to do it. Uh, he could win the fight. He could get pick up a TKO, but um, he's not really a finisher. Like you know what I mean? Like he's more of a a volume guy. He's not a a one hitter quitter and outside of Carl Williams gassing out, it's it's kind of tough to envision him being okay, you know, in a decision type of manner to win that fight. So uh, it is heavyweight in MMA, so you, you don't necessarily know anything could happen. Um, but as far as like the salaries and and everything, it's just I was hoping to have a little bit more uh, meat on the bone for for some of my lineups, and I feel like I'm kind of getting a little bit of uh, you know the same concentrated players. So. I'm going to have to try to get a little bit different, going to go back, watch the weigh-ins and everything. But through social media, there's a couple of people that I do like this week. Look, you know me. I, I don't start filling out lineups till I talk to you because I got I got to see where my guy Pete's at, see maybe if we're, if we're on the same page, maybe we're a little bit oh, different. Man. We'll talk about that. Let's get right into the main event. We got the rematch here. Uh, rematch in MMA, of course, these guys, this will be the fourth time they now compete against each other. Uh, Izzy and Pahea. Izzy, Izzy, slight betting favorite here, minus 135, plus 115 for Alex over there on DraftKings. 8300 for Izzy, 7900 for Alex, and then... $20 for Izzy on FanDuel, $19 for Alex. And, uh, you know, look, this is because of the price point, Pete, it's going to be tough to get away from putting these guys in my line. But this is what I, I was mentioning about my little game theory in terms of the main event is I'm going to probably probably put my exposure probably around 35% to each guys. So when we're talking about multi-entry GPP lineups, I do have a way to get different in the field because I do think that both these guys are going to be massive popular. Yeah. I, I think that for me, the main event's going to be pretty hard to get away from um, whether it's the same type of fight that goes on or a completely different one. I just think that, you know, high seven and mid eight range is, is kind of broken for five round nature, especially when when you know we know the history between these guys, um, and we know the finishing potential that Alex Pahea does have, and we've seen he seems to have Israel Adesanya's number, and you know the the previous fight was very strange because you had Israel Adesanya putting together a pretty well rounded performance for the most part, um, and then whether it's a lapse in judgment or it's just, uh, you know, 25 minutes is a very long time. I'm personally not a fan of 25-minute fights. I have to tell you, um, a lot of my friends disagree with me, but I, I'm just – I think for MMA, there's too much shit that can go wrong in 25 minutes. So you have to be so perfect for 25 minutes, um, and we see all the time, like, you know, whoever's better for, for 24 minutes, and then the final minute something crazy happens. It's just like it's so hard to be perfect in such a demanding sport like that. And Israel Adesanya got hit with a barrage of punches and was ultimately finished after putting together a pretty solid performance. But the, the mental edge 1,000% goes behind Alex Bahia Here at 7,900, um, he knows Israel Adesanya. Uh, he has the mental edge over it where, like, is he, no matter what he does, even if he's beating, you know, Alex for majority of the fight, it just seems like Alex 
is like the boogeyman to him and uh, lands a combination, lands lands something, and uh, whether the judges are swayed by him or he ends up, you know, shutting out your lights with a with a left hook, uh, it's hard for me not to go back to the well with Alex Pahea because for me to think that Israel Adesanya is just going to uh, devote his entire training camp to wrestling, yes, that would be that's the style that's going to be Alex Pahea. I'm telling you right now, that is the style that's going to beat him. If Hamza Shemaev were to fight Alex Pahea, he would he would beat Alex Pahea pretty badly. Um, and it just comes down to how fast can Izzy really you know develop that wrestling? The wrestling is fine, but it was an, it was kind of stifled once Alex understood that Izzy was trying to mix some things up. We did see Izzy tried to go to the takedown well four times, was only successful with one of them. Had six minutes of control time. A lot of that was against the cage as well. Um, I would say that Izzy's going to try to blend it more. He's going to try to blend it more. And, you know, even Izzy didn't look the best when he got, you know, reversed and taken down as well. So I I do think that Alex Pajaya, for me, at 7,900 is going to be a priority play. Um, But this is the number one, number two guys within a division. So I'll be damned if I'm not going to get exposure to both sides. But obviously, my lean is with Alex Pahea here. I think that he actually might go out there and put together a very, very strong performance. And you know, I don't really like backing guys that have been knocked out so recently. Never mind against the same opponent. So yeah, give me Alex Pahea here at seventy nine hundred. For me, it's a slight lean to Izzy. Is I mean, okay. look, I am not expecting that we're magically going to see Izzy become a wrestler. Do we? Yeah. Let, let's let's not forget where's he trained? City kickboxing. Like when when you think city kickboxing, Pete, I don't think wrestling. I don't like look at that entire team. What about that team makes you think wrestling? Well, I tell you, Alex Volkanovsky's a stud. So I, I, he like trains at so many gyms over there. So yeah, I don't know he, between he Australia around. and New Zealand. So he's kind of like debatable if he's even you know really a part of city kickboxing. But I get what you're saying. Unless it's in tiny print, I don't see wrestling anywhere uh, a part of that oh. name. No, I, I don't. I mean, but I just, to me is if you go back and you watch that first fight, take out the fifth round. And I, I look, I get, you can't take out the fifth round, but Izzy was on his way to a 25 minute decision before he got caught. I just think he's a better, he's a better mixed martial artist, but in terms of, of, you know, DFS. Yeah. I want to get to both sides looking at the, the prop best before we kind of move over to the next one here. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I kind of do look at more of that decision props more than anything else. Izzy plus plus one seventy five. Alex is plus uh, 450. By the way, fight goes the distance is plus 120. Yeah, I don't I don't see it going the distance. I got to tell you, I, I just don't. Um, and it's there's a lot on the line, and that could lead to somebody making a mistake. I, I think that Izzy's extremely desperate, and desperate times call for des- desperate measures. So we could see Izzy go out there and get super aggressive en route to finishing Alex Bahia. We did see him drop him, essentially. Uh, you know, he buckled him. He buckled Alex Pahea at the end of the round and almost sat him down in the chair. So if Izzy goes out there and it's like, nah, nah, I'm Terminator right now, and he's going to stalk him, Pahea is just huge. It's kind of hard to do that when Bigfoot's standing in the middle of the cage, and then he's just clubbing you at left hand. So um, I think that whether it's Izzy initiating it and getting a little bit too over aggressive, I think we're, we're going to see a finish here. Uh, I, and I think Alex Pahea is going to, unfortunately still be the champion yeah and then i think that then really the question becomes is is he the best middleweight in the world because i think there are some people i will tell you there are people i've talked to in south florida 
And are, are they biased? Yes. No question about it. There's a lot of people that believe the best one, eight, five pound fighter in the world doesn't even fight the UFC. Yeah, you're probably right. But no, no, I mean, yeah, right at this moment. Yes. Um, but I just, I want my boy Hamzat to get the fights that he needs. And uh, he kind of really blew his opportunity against uh, Nate Diaz to catapult him into yeah. superstardom. He's, he's already a star, but uh, he blew that opportunity. And uh, we'll have to see how, how he is at middleweight going forward. But uh, I think that he's the guy that's going to be the reigning champ for a while. Let's move over to the co-main event. You got Gilbert Burns taking on Jorge Masvidal. Gilbert Burns, a minus 475 betting favorite, plus 350 for Jorge Masvidal. Overall on DraftKings, you got 9,600 for Gilbert Burns, 6,600 for Jorge, and then 23 and 8, respectively, over there on FanDuel. And uh, obviously, there's, uh, you know, I, I really like Gilbert Burns to win this fight here, Pete. Um, yeah. it, to me, it, it's from a DFS aspect, it becomes more of a, okay, he's 9,600. On DK, $23 on FanDuel. So if I, I'm looking at DK and I'm thinking if he's going to be optimal with that price tag, it's got to either be it's it's a quick finish where he you know he gets a knockdown or takedown and you know he gets you know gets a, a 25 bonus points there or this is he's just racking up grappling because look he's he's a better grappler. I have a lot of questions about where Jorge Masvidal is this a point in his career kind of you know. I mean, look, if Jorge goes out there and, and pulls it off tomorrow night, is he getting a title shot? Wouldn't be shocked. Would not be shocked at all. But I just feel like this is Gilbert Burns' fight to lose. Yeah, so I really like Gilbert Burns, right? It comes down to salary, and 9600 is expensive. Um, when has Gilbert Burns paid off a 9600 price tag? Well, let's kind of dive in. Against Neil Magny, who I, I loved him against Neil Magny. Um, he got a quick finish in round one and only scored 102. Um, in a five-round decision against Tyron Woodley, where he put together a very strong performance, he only scored 102. Damian Maya, first-round KO, 105. Um, the only time he's really gotten over 105 points was 120 against Mike Davis, who Mike Davis took that on short notice and got a second-round submission. Um, 106 against Dan Moret, 111 against Jason Sago, second round. So for me, I do think that under 110 is is probably what's going to happen. So when I can kind of forecast less than 110 points, I'm going to be underweight to the field, even if I like the fighter, even if I think the fighter is going to go out there and be dominant if he chooses to be. Um, he has takedown city potential, for sure. We've seen uh, Jorge Masvidal you know, get taken down, but on short notice, he, he kind of stifled the takedown attempts of Kamaru Usman. Um but, you know, Colby Covington took him and, you know, made him the mayor of, of Takedown City. So I, I think that Gilbert Burns possesses the power to test the chin of Jorge. I think that he possesses the jiu-jitsu to get a finish, unlike a lot of these other wrestlers that have faced Jorge Masvidal. Um, and then he is a good wrestler in his own right. So um, I don't – I I'll tell you what, though. Anytime I can get a superstar in the 6K range, I'm just going to get to him. I, I just am. Um, they find ways to win sometimes. If you dive into Jorge Masvidal's record, it's it's very impressive, but not of late. Like, um, you know, three straight losses, two to Usman, one to Covington. TKO over Nate Diaz. Okay, Nate Diaz is a showman, not necessarily a top-tier talent. The quick finish over Ben Askren, okay. 
the comeback against Darren Till. Darren Till has extremely fizzled out within uh, within mixed martial arts. And then the the two decisions to Steven Thompson and Damian Maya. So I, I think that there's a pretty easy path to Gilbert Burns to, to bank two rounds and win a decision here. But I'm with you as far as like salary is concerned. I just think like, you know, the, the one dark cloud that kind of follows Gilbert Burns over his head is the fact that he was knocked out against 155 or in, you know, in Dan Hooker. So like we, we remember Dan Hooker hitting him with a left hook and, and planting Gilbert Burns on his back. And, you know, now we have this image of Gilbert Burns being super chinny. And I have that same type of image of Gilbert Burns, but go back and watch the Hamza Shemaya fight. My boy, they slugged it out. And yeah, Gilbert Burns got hurt throughout that contest numerous times, but he wasn't out, out, and he was able to fight back and his heart, you know, shined through. And it, it just proved a lot that him at welterweight is a completely different animal than how he used to be at lightweight. I think that he can take, you know, shots better than he used to. Yes, he was finished by Kamaru Usman, but Usman during his reign in his best is one of the best, you know, welterweights of all time. So I, I have to tell you that I think Gilbert Burns gets this done pretty easily. Um, but I, I'm with you as far as like, you know, ceiling. I, I don't think that Gilbert Burns is my top option for ceiling. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned there, if you look at his history in terms of what he scores, you know, generally just, he's just not a slate breaker. But like, as I, this is one of those things where I want to look at ownership of how it plays out over the next 24 hours. And, you know, does it get to a point where I say, okay, maybe I want to get a little bit more than the field just because I might be able to find a little bit of a leverage spot, you know, especially yeah. if this becomes a heavy grappling base from Gilbert Burns. I would imagine you're going to see some, some grappling here for Gilbert Burns. But I mean, look, when it comes to Jorge Masvidal, Jorge Masvidal had a great 2019. Yeah. It's 2023. Um, I mean, look, it's, I, I don't mind. And, and, you know, like there was a, a comment here in, in the chat from, you know, Sam, where he said, he goes, I'll take the Masvidal pump play. I don't, I understand that idea, but I will tell you this. If I'm looking for a punt play on this card, I'm looking at our next fight. I'm looking at Kevin Holland versus Santiago Ponzinibbio or Santiago Ponzinibbio, who's a plus two. Um, or later on, we'll talk about that fight that weeks ago. We never fight before that, but that is the pump play I'm yep. looking to more than getting a Jorge Maso. Our next fight is a matchup that, from a, a fight aspect, Pete, I absolutely love. I love this matchup of Rob mm -hmm. Font and Adrian Yanez. I mean, if you're a fight fan, I don't know how you don't look at this matchup and go, "Damn, man, this this has a recipe to just be a great fight, just a great fight." I don't know if I really, I really don't love it from a, a DFS perspective here. Hadrian Yanez, a minus 180 uh, betting favorite, plus 152 for Rob Font. Uh, Yanez, 8,500 on DK, 7,700 for Rob Font. And then uh, 16 and 14 on FanDuel, which kind of becomes interesting. But this is where I really don't love this fight in terms of a DFS fight is I don't expect there to be takedowns. I'm expecting this to be a straight up boxing matchup. Like someone asked in our discord channel a little earlier today. And by the way, totally free to join our discord channel. Also, we'll uh, put up that DraftKings contest here later on today. We'll have it here uh, in the notes here, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening on the podcasting platforms and comparing this to Giga Jikadze and Calvin Cater. I yep. get why someone would offer that comparison. It's just, I just don't expect we're going to see takedowns from either one of these guys. And I don't, I don't expect to see a heavy leg kicking game from either one of them. All right. So I will say that this fight is a banger. I, I can't wait to watch this fight. It's a, um, you know, battle of two technicians and we have Adrian Yanez with arguably the best hands within the division going up against Rob font, 
Um, you know, I, I'm a big Rob Font guy, always, you know, rooted for him, you know, in New England and uh, friendly with Rob Font. So I want Rob Font to do well. And I, I think that he's been looking phenomenal. Rob Rob has really looked phenomenal. It's just another another case of the five round fight, right? Like it's so it's so tough to be perfect for 25 minutes. And even though he's out voluming and kind of outworking his his opponents, the bigger and more damaging shots against Jose Aldo and Marlon Vera were landed by Jose Aldo and Marlon Vera. So they they ended up despite the the out volume they've they made up for that lack of volume with power and damage and you know we've seen Rob take a ton of damage these past fifty minutes and um, Marlon Vera dropped him numerous times Jose Aldo hurt him numerous times and I really thought that the Jose Aldo performance was going to be the performance that was going to catapult Rob's career um, he's on always been on an upward trajectory. And I thought that the name value of Jose Aldo was what was, was going to be that nice, notable win. Um, he looked good in it. It's just he looked great in it, and then he get, starts getting hit with some big shots, and um, the damage is starting to accumulate. And at this point in time, I don't know, is Adrian Yanez the straw that broke the camel's back? Because Yanez's speed can catch you off guard. He can counter you. He can hit you with some quick combinations. I think these guys are going to go tit for tat on the feet. Mm -hmm. And um, I can also poke holes at Adrian Yanez's career a little bit and say, well, he has not fought the top of top, you know, level competition like Rob has. And that's fair to say Tony Kelly, David Grant, Randy Costa, Gustavo Lopez, and Victor Rodriguez are nowhere near what Rob has just dealt with. Marlon Vera, Jose Aldo, Cody Garbrandt, Marley Marais, Ricky Simone, Sergio Pettis. Um, but this is this necessary step up for Adrian Yanez to kind of break into, you know, the, 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 the rankings and, and, you know, the top 10 and, you know, even more so. So is Yanez ready for it? I think he is to a point, but if you go back and you watch the Randy Costa fight, I know Randy Costa pretty well. And Randy really excels at putting his hands behind his, you know, his hands into his kicks and blending all of his strikes together. He's not a prolific boxer. And we saw Randy Costa going out there, out jabbing, and just hitting Yanez with almost every straight punch imaginable. And Yanez, despite his boxing proficiency, was just getting lit up. I see, I see Rob Font, and I see his jab, and I see how good he is with his boxing and how technical he is. And he has a phenomenal jab. I mean, the, just ask Marlon Marais. He sat Marlon Marais down with a jab and followed it up with some ground and pound. Um, I think that Rob has all the skills to pull off this upset here at 7,700. I'm going to be siding with Rob Font. Now, I will slightly disagree with you, and I actually think that the time off, and if I'm a part of Rob's camp, you know, we are incorporating takedowns because we have seen we have seen Rob go to the takedown well. At an impressive rate, one of two against Marlon Vera, one of five against Jose Aldo, two of three against Cody Garbrandt, two of four against Sergio Pettis, one of one against Ricky Simone. He can do that, and he can. He's actually pulled off submissions in the past against Douglas Silva de Andrade, and I, I don't think we've really seen too many people test Yanez within that department. Um, so I'm just saying that I think that Rob's going to look to solidify some rounds with a takedown attempt, whether it's successful or not. Um, Giannis has only you know defended five takedowns 
in his five fights in the UFC. Three of them were against Victor Rodriguez, one against Gustavo Lopez, and once against Davy Grant. So strap up those wrestling shoes, Rob Font, and and you know, jab them up, put some combinations together, and then start to blend it. And I, I really think that's where like Tyson Chartier and all the guys of New England Cartel, I think that's what they're gonna do. Um Mike Cap Calf kick, excuse me, calf kick him a little bit in in route to you know making this just a, a complete mixed martial artist fight. So um, I'm going to be siding with Rob Font here at 7700. And for me though, I, I think that one way or another we're going to need this fight. Um, I think the contrarian approach is what Jason's saying is if it's just a 15 minute decision, you could do without it. And that's kind of been the head scratcher for me this week where I keep landing on this fight and it's hard for me not to include it. Yeah, I mean, when I look at right now the ownership projection on this fight, the, the ownership of Rob Font does stick out to me. I'm saying, mm, man, I like Rob as an underdog here. I mean, in I love the fact that you brought up the, the Randy Costa fight because go back and watch that first round. Randy Costa had a lot of success. Oh, I, rem- I remember watching that fight going, whoa, because I, I remember I had a ton of Adrian Yanez that night. I had a ton of Adrian Yanez, and, and I was like, oh, crap, this is not good. And, and I mean, look, we both know Randy Costa is, and we, we know what Randy does. And of course, it, it faded off after that first round, and Yanis took advantage of it. But it's, it is a kind of that classic matchmaking by the UFC of you got the young up and coming guy, and this is that first real step up in competition of, are you a top ten fighter in this you know UFC division or not? And uh, you know, it's just it's from a, from a GPP aspect, it just kind of concerns me of whether or not that you know. It does get to 100 plus points, but you bring up the great point of, you know, if if you're Tyson Chartier and that entire you know New England cartel team, you know the the thought process is is hey, can you mix it in? And the final thing I'll mention is, you know, yes, he lost Cheeto Vera, he looked good against Cheeto Vera. It's just he got he. It was like the final minute every round was when he just got he got annihilated. And I think people kind of forget of you know he he had a lot of great moments in that matchup. So, but I will say this in terms of like. From a fight aspect, man, I, I love this matchup. Let's move over yeah. next up. We got Kevin Holland taking on Santiago Ponzanibio. Kevin Holland in minus 260 betting favor, plus 210 for Santiago Ponzanibio. 9,300 for Holland on DK, 6,900 for Santiago. And then is 1912 on FanDuel. By the way, why does Kevin Holland get into battles on fight week with guys he's not fighting? I don't know. It seems like, you know, he's the common denominator, right? Uh, he's, he's, uh, uh, an outspoken man, so perhaps he just doesn't let anything slide, or maybe he's just a troublemaker. I, I do like Kevin Holland though a lot, so I'm not complaining. Well, you know? There is a reason they've they've called him Big Mouth. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, the, the, fitting I, the nickname. I, it, but I mentioned this, like if if you tell me you want me to take one of these guys in the six thousand range. I'd rather go to Santiago Ponzinibbio than get go to Jorge Masvidal. Um, you know, Santiago Ponzinibbio. I mean, look, you remember there was a time where man, he he put together this great run. Um, it, it it to me, it is a little concerning when Santiago comes out and says, "Hey, uh, you know, Kevin slid into my Instagram DMs and was asking for this fight to be at one eighty five as opposed to one seventy. That's a little concerning when I hear that. Yeah, well, I think Kevin just. Wanted to enjoy the the Miami food down there. That's what he was saying, and he's like, "Dude, you know I can make welterweight. Let's just let's screw cut and wait." So it's like, don't agree to one seventy, then, bro. But um, yeah, I think Santiago Ponzinibbio is going to be extremely popular at six thousand. He's going to be a six thousand punt. Uh, people hope that he can just do enough on a loss, you know, not get finished, um, and has the volume and and actually wrestling advantage in this situation against Kevin Holland. So. 
Why can't he win a decision? Why can't he possibly knock out Kevin Holland? I mean, this is a guy that a lot of people were picking to, you know, fight for the title and, and possibly dethrone Kamar Usman years ago. So, I mean, I've always liked Santiago Pontanibio, but he's so hittable. He's very hittable. And, um, you know, he, he picks up a ton of knockdowns, but he takes a ton of damage as well. Like, if you go back and you watch that Miguel Baeza fight, for some reason that fight sticks out to me like crazy. Um, and it was it was a war. And Baeza was a you know, a highly touted prospect that really fizzled out, but that was a crazy, crazy fight. I really like Kevin Holland here in this matchup at ninety three hundred. I gotta tell you, uh, the one worry whenever you roster Kevin Holland is if his opponent's just going to decide to wrestle. Because if his opponents decide to wrestle, then he's gonna get taken down to takedown city. Um, I know that he's a good submission fighter where he is able to threaten you with submissions and, um, you know, punish you on the feet and then wrap up your neck. But, you know, as far as like wrestling defense, we've seen him lose some fights. The people, it was just like, man, I, I thought you were going to take this next step. Derek Brunson, Marvin Vittori, um, you know, like even like Alex Oliveira had his back and had him in a horrible position. We saw what happened against Hamza Shemaev. Like, that wasn't even a fight. So then when he was given the Stephen Thompson fight, it's like, okay, now he doesn't have to worry about getting taken down. Little did he realize that he's in there against the trickiest striker known to man who will angle off, hit you with side kicks, hook kicks, straight punches, and, you know, just beat the hell out of you. And uh, even Jorge Masvidal struggled and was picked apart against Stephen Thompson too. So Stephen Thompson is just one of those rare fighters where he just gives everybody a problem. Um, but yeah, Kevin Holland at 9,300. The reason I like him so much here is just how big he is in comparison to Santiago Ponzinibbio. Um, you know, he has an eight inch reach advantage over Santiago Ponzinibbio. He stands at six, three Ponzinibbio stands at six foot, 81 inch reach, 73 inch for Ponzinibbio. Um, I think the straight punches are going to be there to, against the hittable Ponzinibbio. He needs to defend the takedown of Pons looks to, you know, incorporate the wrestling. The one red flag I had about Ponzinibbio is how Alex Morone on single-digit days took the fight against Pons and was beating the hell out of him for two rounds. And then in the third round, Ponzinibbio kind of, you know, just found his stride and landed a knockout in the third round. But I didn't think it was a good look for Morona to step up on super short notice and have all that success for two rounds. Um, he's not a prolific power puncher, but I just see Kevin Holland. If he lands those shots, he finishes you. So... Kevin Holland might be, you know, kind of lost in the 9,000 shuffle this week, but I might be a little bit more aggressive on him, man. I, I think that this is a very nice fight, and we've seen Santiago Ponzinibbio, you know, be so damn tough that maybe we get more than one knockdown. So I guess I don't want to plant my flag on this. I'll, I'll, I'll decide at the end of the, the show, but I'm pretty aggressive uh, over Kevin Holland this week. I, I hope that he doesn't get taken down to take down City. I mean, look, we talk about that all the time of, you know, utilizing ownership projections and, you know, looking at those 9,000 fighters. Like, for example, when I look at my sheet, I have all the 9,000 fighters highlighted and it's about, okay, who is going to be that fire that just people are not going to be getting to. Um, and, and Kevin Holland will likely be one of those guys. I, I think another fire that probably is not, people aren't going to get to in that 9,000 range this week is Lupe Godinez. You know, so we'll, we'll talk about her later on in the show. But, uh, you know, but just in terms of like, if I'm looking at, you know, putting a fighter on my lineup in this low range, I just I, I just think you've got a better possibility with Ponzinibbio, you know, scoring points as opposed to, say, a, a Jorge Masvidal. 
scoring points. Next up, we got the opening matchup of the pay-per-view. We got the 18-year-old kid, Raul Rojas Jr., taking on Christian Rodriguez. Rodriguez did miss weight earlier today, missed weight by one pound, uh, weighing in 137 pounds. He initially weighed in 137.5, got the additional time, still was unable to um, make weight. He's been fined 20% of his purse, so this fight will go forward here. Uh, he is a plus 210 betting underdog, uh, Raul Rojas Jr., minus 260 betting favorite. Over on DraftKings, uh, Rosas is 9,100. 7100 for Rodriguez and 18 and 13 respectively. You know, I mean, obviously we all know the hype that is around Raul. Um, there's no, no doubt about it, but you know, Pete, if I was going to offer any um, concern to have about Raul at this point in his career, to me, it just comes down to is what, you know, what happens if his chin gets checked? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. And uh, you don't know how a fighter is going to respond. They could panic. They could, you know, just never be themselves in there. They could have that, you know, that bullied mentality where they're just kind of shell up and they don't go back to the well of the takedowns and they're just trying to survive. And instead of going out there and, uh, you know, looking to, to incorporate their takedowns, like if he runs into a knee, what does he really go back to the takedowns as aggressive as he was? Um, I think that, you know, we could have, you know, a huge upset here with Christian Rodriguez spoiling Raul Rosas Jr., now, I have concerns on both sides, but I will say this and take this for what it is. Me personally, instead of playing Santiago Ponzinibbio, who is 6900 I would rather find the $200 in salary and pay up for Christian Rodriguez at 7100 okay. personally. That's my punt play. If I, was to, if I was going to punt something, I'd rather find that $200. Um, you know that Ponzinibbio is going to have a ton of ownership. You know that uh, the public perception is is backing Raul Rosas. Um, I will tell you that we've we've heard a lot about Christian Rodriguez over the years, where Duke Rufus and the entire team, Paul Felder and Anthony Showtime, the whole Duke Rufus team, and even Henry Cejudo too, you know, kind of, of Christian Rodriguez dabbling f- between camps. I've heard great things about Christian Rodriguez, and Cejudo said that this is a great matchup for Christian Rodriguez. C-Rod has phenomenal jiu-jitsu, and that was on display in his short-notice debut against Jonathan Pierce, where he damn near submitted Jonathan Pierce with numerous guillotines. He attempted three submission attempts. I still think that that is wrong. I think he attempted way more than that. And Jonathan Pierce was gurgling at times, and it looked like he was going to get submitted by this all-of-a-sudden newcomer. Um, he landed two of two takedowns against Jonathan Pierce as well. I think the striking is clearly in favor of Christian Rodriguez. The hands are way better for Christian Rodriguez than Raul Rosas Jr. The the thing that Raul Rosas does is he just tries to steamroll all of his opponents, and his opponents are too busy defending everything that Ro, uh, Raul Rosas throws at them, whether it's submission attempts or little ground and pound or takedowns that they don't have time runs out and they don't have time to end up being offensive at all. The next thing you know, they either get submitted or they just lost a 15 minute decision because Raul Rosas Jr. Never let them get out of that defensive mindset. Christian Rodriguez can scramble really well. He can punch really well and he has good submissions, but I don't want to see him pulling guillotine against this jujitsu phenom Raul Rosas Jr. What I think is going to happen is they're both going to, uh, it's going to be a pretty even contest where Rosas is getting takedowns and having more control. Rodriguez is getting back to his feet. Um, he's 
hitting some damaging shots, and then it's going to come down to that decision. And it's like, what are we valuing here? Are we valuing the position and control? Or are we valuing some of the damage? And I think it's going to be a controversial controversial decision. I still think that Raul Rosas Jr. is going to do it. And the reason why I say that is that Josh Weems, on super short notice, took Christian Rodriguez down two of three times. Yeah, he popped back up. But Josh Weems is, is, in my opinion, not UFC caliber at all. And, uh, you know, we saw him get finished relatively quickly on Dana White's contender series. And he did get finished in the first round via Anaconda choke. But it was like, you know, in that first round, what happened? And I think that Raul Rosas is 10 times the grappler that Josh Weems is. So it's just tricky. I'm going to get to Christian Rodriguez as one of my most exposed underdogs on the slate. But I just have this gut feeling that Raul Rosas still does enough in the judges' eyes to get the decision. Look, I mean, you know this. There's certain fighters that you just don't want to you don't want to play jujitsu with. And yeah. when you talk to fighters who train in Las Vegas, that's the one thing they'll say about Raul. They say you don't want to play jujitsu with this kid. This kid's he, he's a different level. And so if you're yeah. Christian Rodriguez, you got to keep it on the feed. You know, really, the, the question I think becomes is. Doesn't only take one takedown if Raul uh, does get to the ground. By the way, I'll say this over on Prize Picks: his takedown prop is three. Yeah, I'm going more on that because I I think that Rodriguez is going to he's going to pop back up, and the gas tank of both fighters is going to be you know put to the test. I think that Rodriguez is going to give him a hell of a fight, and I can really see him pulling off this upset. For betting, I'm going to be betting Christian Rodriguez. And for DFS, I'm going to be aggressive on the the underdog. Um, but I, I think that we're going to hell, see one hell of a back-and-forth fight. Of course, appreciate everyone tuning in here for the Fight HQ UFC 287 preview. If you haven't be watched this on YouTube, be sure to smash that thumbs up button. If you're not subscribed to the channel, be sure to do that. Really do appreciate that. We're trying to get over 1,000 subscribers here on YouTube so we can monetize this channel. Also, if you're listening to us on the podcasting platforms, if you can uh, subscribe, rate, and review, we appreciate that as well. Next up, we got Kevin Gaslam taking on Chris Curtis. Kevin Gaslam, a minus 125 betting favorite, plus 105 for Chris Curtis. This is uh, the 82-8000 fight on DK with Kevin Gaslam being the 8200 fighter over on FanDuel, $16 and $15 for FanDuel. You know, people, when I was kind of taking a dive into this, of you know, really looking into the Kevin Gaslam side of the equation, one of the things that really stuck out to me is, like, man, this guy has fought the who's who of this division, but the one thing that does stick out to you is uh, there's not really that notable win of Kevin Gaslam right now. When you look at, uh, you know, in terms of fighters still in the UFC, Ian Heinish, I believe, is the only one um, that, that's on his record at at this point, but this is another one. And I think it's kind of like the, the Yanez and font fight for me, Pete is I, I look at of how this fight plays out. The fight probably plays out in the feed. I mean, we, we we've always got, who, who was the guy we were talking about going it, Gaethje, you know, at what point is Gaethje going to become this wrestler? And I believe your line was a couple weeks ago was Jason. He's not a wrestler. He's not going to wrestle, even though we did see him get finally get a takedown. But you know, you always, you think of Kevin Gaspin, you think, Oh, he can take it down. But Chris Curtis is coming into the UFC has been a guy has been able to take down. It used to be a flaw of his. It used to be something that you know people yeah. be able to take him down easy. It's just for me of, you know, I, I look at this five just saying I, I think it's a fifteen minute stand up war. Yeah, okay, so I, I'm with you, and I, I still don't think like you know, um, you know, obviously the one takedown like Gaethje got it. That was good. That was smart. But like, it's still like not what he wants to do clearly. And Kelvin Gastelum, I at least is trying to get takedowns and. I will tell you that I'm not 
too sure. Like I'm very surprised with, with what I'm seeing for ownership. And I think like the public perception, everybody's going Chris Curtis from what I'm seeing. And it's like, I'm not buying Chris Curtis right here. I'm not. And I'm a big Chris Curtis guy. Um, been a big fan of his since he fought in the same regional promotion as I did. And then beyond that, he's fought in major promotions and he's one of the most uh, accredited regional fighters and who finally caught his break and he's in the UFC and now he's everybody's darling, if, especially if he's going up against somebody who's chinny. You want to you wanna play Chris Curtis, especially via TKO KO because he has that phenomenal power about him and he's very slick with his hands. Um, the walking Buckley fight, right? Like we knew what walking Buckley had a bad chin, has a bad chin. Um, you know, like he's been hit plenty of times and rocked and hurt plenty of times. And it was just a matter of if Chris Curtis would actually throw, he's too tentative sometimes. And he's kind of like, you know, he, he's, he's downloading the data in front of him a lot of times. And he's trying to pick up on people's patterns and he's trying to find that beautiful one shot counter and a lot of times minutes are ticking off the clock and what i will tell you is that if you go back and you look at kelvin gastelum his ufc career hasn't been knocked out so like i i gotta tell you i think that you know this is a hell of a matchup for chris curtis um yes kelvin's taken a tremendous amount of damage throughout his career but kelvin is fighting the best fighters within the division. Past two fights, Jared Cannonier, Robert Whitaker. He went five rounds with Jared Cannonier. You know what I mean? Derek Brunson couldn't do that. There, you know, like I, I think that Kelvin Gastelum, now being a part of Fight Ready, having three fight camps with Fight Ready, and finally now getting to actually go in there with a good team behind him and having him super prepared and you know, from staff infection to the mouth injury to now getting in there. I, I think we're gonna see we might see Kelvin Gastelum two point or at this point is it you know three I don't really know, but he went 0 of eight against Jared Cannonier in the takedown department, one of five against Robert Whitaker, six of fourteen against Ian Heinish. Six of fourteen. I really like that number. If he scores ninety five points at eighty two hundred, he's he's gonna be a part of the optimal lineup. Um so yeah, I'm I'm really bullish on Kelvin Gastelum. I, I hope that, you know, kinda how I was talking about earlier in the uh in, in the card of uh you know Giannis and Font is Chris Curtis the straw that broke the camel's back and you know despite Gastelum not being finished it, it just takes one shot he's been dropped and he's been rocked numerous times but is Chris Curtis finally the guy to do it um I I don't think so so I'm going to be going pretty heavily on uh, Kelvin Gastelum but I understand your your precautions about this fight not paying off that that salary. Yeah, that's just my concern. It's just it's you know I talk about this every week. It's that ceiling upside, and when you have a fight where if there is not takedowns in this one, I just look at that and go, man, is is this a eighty point ceiling? Yeah, I mean it could, but like, see the thing is, is like. I just want to win, right? Like I, I'd like that 80 point fighter, 80, 80. No, I need like mid eighties, but like mid eighties is a little bit better than forties who got screwed on the decision. You know what I'm saying? So like, we just got to have some good bounces and, but I, I understand there's hundred point ceiling, probably not attached to this fight. Look, I, I could see where I think this would be more of a, if I'm hand building a cash game lineup, 
that I could see myself getting to this fight a little bit more just from a, a cash build as opposed to uh, a, a GPP build. Let's move over next one. We got a female matchup. Luna Pinheiro taking on Michelle Watterson Gomez. Uh, Michelle Watterson Gomez is a plus 150 betting underdog. Just signed a new eight-fight deal with the UFC. I'm not sure why you're signing eight-fight deals, but you're really? signing eight-fight deals. Yep. Uh, Luna is a minus 175 betting favorite. She's a 600 on DK, $16 on FanDuel. And Michelle is 7,600 on DK, $15 on FanDuel. And, and this is, I mean, Pete, I think this is another example of the UFC kind of, you know, looking at a fire who's, you know, kind of coming up and, and you're throwing her against a, a fire who's been around this division for some time. Yeah. It's like, are you ready for the next step up or not? And I'm kind of really confused about this catapult upward throughout the division from Rana Marcos, Sam Hughes to now Michelle Watterson. It's like, what? I don't know. I just think it could be the lack of depth or the lack of name value attached. Um, but you know, within women's MMA, a couple wins, next thing you know, you're fighting ranked opponents. And I, I think that, you know, Michelle Watterson fighting Amanda Lemos, Marina Rodriguez, Angela Hill, Carla Sparza, Yoani and Jacek, like that was, that's crazy. Those, those fighters that I just listed off, that's crazy. And now be fighting Luana Pinheiro, who doesn't have the name value that those other fighters have. She has skills, of course. She has good judo, so she has nice head and arm throws. Um, so does Michelle Watterson. So I'm excited to see who's going to have the better hips in this situation and who's going to get thrown or who's not. I would probably say that Michelle might surprise Luana a little bit. Um but I, I do think that as far as raw judo skills, that Luana is going to be more inclined to get the fight to the ground because of, of her grappling skills. She went five of six, and that was in round one. Five of six against Rana Marcos before the DQ happened. Um, two of three in a three-round decision against Sam Hughes. But if Sam Hughes can kind of stifle that, I think that you know Michelle Watterson can as well. Michelle, the karate hottie, she looks to be in phenomenal shape. She looks like like Holly Holm type of shape. Like she yeah. looks shredded to the bone. So I, I think that she's taking this fight completely serious. Um, I like the, the small glove sparring I'm seeing on social media. I like everything I'm seeing. And I like how she has the distance striking to win a fight like this. Because if this isn't in a phone booth, if, if this isn't in boxing range, who has the advantage? And it's the karate hottie. It's Michelle Watterson with the sidekicks and the round kicks and front kicks and good movement and that's that's mike winkle john's specialty is really uh stressing those skills similar to how he has done that with holly holm so i'm telling you i'm picking michelle waterson here at 7600 i i think it's tough for me to bank on a a, a finisher within women's mma of luana pinheiro to go out there and finish michelle waterson because outside of amanda lamosh finishing waterson in round two and Rose Namajunas finishing her in round two. I don't expect Michelle to give up her back or get put in a bad position, but you never know it could happen. Outside of that, I just don't see how it happens, you know, and she's been training so diligently on her ground game as well, and she likes to incorporate takedowns, and she went one of 18. I know that's a terrible ratio, but one of 18 against Angela Hill. So if things get bad, she can look to do that, but mm -hmm. I think Michelle's going to want to stick and move on the feet in route to a 15-minute decision. So 7,600, Michelle Watterson, she's going to be underdog play for me. And Luana Pinheiro, it might be you know lost in the shuffle there at 8,600 for me. Uh, could be a leverage play. 
Well, I mean, it does look like some ownership is is going her way in terms of that way. Let's move. Oh, yeah. Let's move over next up. We got Joe Pfeiffer taking on Gerald Mershart. Gerald Mershart, a plus one seventy betting underdog, minus two hundred for Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer a seven hundred DK seventeen dollars on Fanduel. GM three is seventy five hundred on DK thirteen dollars on Fanduel. Uh, GM three. It seems like more times than not, Pete, he shines in these scenarios. I mean, clearly for GM3, it is about, you know, utilizing the grappling in this one. But, um, you know, when we're talking about people that I want to put in my underdog pool, GM3 is there because of the finishing upside. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, Ian Heinish was a guy that we took advantage and, you know, he hopped on, you know, Mearshart really early and got him out of there in round one. Hamza Shemaev, same thing, you know, got him out of there really early in round one. But if you can't hop on Gerald Mearshart and get out of, get him out of there early, he just doesn't go away, and he's annoying. He he sits there and he picks at you with, with good combinations and good left kicks to the body. And if I told you he was going to beat Mahmoud Muradov, you'd probably think that I was crazy. If I told you he was going to beat Bruno Silva, you'd probably think that I was crazy. Um, you know, it, it's – it's crazy what this guy can do. Not when it hits the mat. When it hits the mat, he's just absolutely phenomenal. But he's like, I don't know what the UFC does. He, they just like, he's the test. He will ultimately mm-hmm. test every prospect. And it's like, all right, let's see if this kid's legit. Give him the mirror shark. And then it's like, if mirror shark passes, it's like, ah, oh, well, the kid wasn't that good. Or even if he is good, mirror shark's just, you know, that stepping stone and are you ready or not? The fact that he beat Bruno Silva really blows my mind. Bruno looked horrible in that fight, but Mearshart now working a lot at Killcliffe FC with that very, very talented room down there in Florida. I think that we could be seeing like a just staple within the, the division because um, you go back and you watch Joe Pfeiffer's regional tapes. If people were able to incorporate takedowns, they had success. Um, Dustin Stolzfus on the contender series had success by doing so en route to a gruesome arm injury. I think that Mearshart, despite his grappling skills, isn't the best wrestler, which kind of is weird. Um, but he really is just opportunistic with grabbing submissions and everything. I just, for some reason, can't get out of my head like Joe Pfeiffer it took him four minutes to get rid of Amadovsky. I thought he was going to go out there and get 30 seconds, Amadovsky. You know what I mean? And uh, he threw 45. He only landed 14. That type of accuracy, uh, you know, one shot can knock out Gerald Mearshart, but I'm going to pick the better minute winner here in, in Gerald Mearshart, despite Pfeiffer being a part of Daniel Gracie's team. And Enzo Gracie Philly is a team that, man, they just they, they steal everybody's money because they, they just are constantly counted out. And they shine all the time. So I'm circling this fight. I'm going to get to both sides. But how can I not pick Gerald Mearshart here? Pfeiffer hasn't truly been tested the way that Mearshart has. So 7,500, I'm going to go Mearshart. Speaking of that team, watch out for Patrick Brady in the PFL tonight. Interesting. He's oh, a- and you know what's crazy? We have PFL, so I can make some money tonight. I love it. <laughs> you, I, I'll say this. For people who are not in that Discord channel. You missed out. Some Pete was throwing some dimes last uh, Saturday night, sure making some. All, all I know is I'm looking at my phone. All I, I, I just see the notification of it, just a check mark. Oh yeah, bro. You already know I'm throwing. If I'm shouting out parlays and I'm shouting out this and that, and then when they come through, we get that green check mark. We get that green check mark. And, and hell, if you were on those, uh, those underdogs on Bellator last Friday night, I, I was talking about my show um, 
earlier in the week is, man, I would say if you took the, the three underdogs that um, one on the prelims was like. It was plus, insane. It was like 20 to one or something like that. It, it, yeah. it, it, it was a crazy number, but, uh, but yeah, but yeah, that's, that's why you gotta be at the score channel. Cause Pete always dropping those dimes of what, what do there. And, um, and, and I think the quick note, and I want to say you mentioned this in the score of for the most part, PFL, you don't like to parlay. You just like to do straight bets. Yeah. I, well, this, the issue with the parlaying is you're parlaying three to four to five, same with Bellator, huge, huge favorites. And then when you do so, you're getting like plus 110. I'd rather get a little bit more aggressive and, and try to pick method of victory mm-hmm. or um, go fight by fight. And like if you have, you know, just like in your gut an idea of what's going to happen, I would just rather do that um, and then get, you know, sprinkle in some underdogs rather than just like having so many chalky, chalky plays all put together. And listen, PFL, I mean, Bellator was worse last weekend. With how many of those, you know, crazy favorites just, yeah. you know, dropped the ball? That that was crazy. How Vegas won so much money last week from everybody just doing that same exact thing. Yeah. Oh, it's minus one thousand favorite. Throw them in. Throw them in. Throw them. In. And it's like it was it was a disaster for for anybody doing the chalky parlays oh no no doubt about it let's move over next up we got a heavyweight matchup a fight that came together this week when chris barnett pulled out you got carl williams taking on chase sherman carl williams a minus 420 betting favorite plus 325 for chase sherman of course uh, chase sherman's dk salaries already out there he was 8800 uh on fandle he's nine dollars because of the fight change uh carl williams 9500 22 on fandle and i mean look pete is i mean you were all over carl williams a couple a couple weeks ago if yeah. I was going to offer any question marks on him side, you know, quick turnaround between two fights, uh, stylist for Chase Sherman, this is just an awful matchup for him. Yeah, it's a horrible matchup. You go from one end of the spectrum to the other side. And uh, I will say that the only negative thing I can say about Carl Williams' performance against Lukasz Breski was just him putting his hands on his knees and gasping and looking like an exhausted player in basketball. Um, you know, that, that was not good body language at all, but – he was lucky that his opponent did the same damn thing. They were like, all right, let's take a 30 second breather. Um, you know, he picked up a knockdown. He picked up eight takedowns. He went eight of 13, had over 10 minutes of control time. He was my boy. And uh, he, he absolutely made me look smart that week. And I, I like him here. He scored 129 points against Lukasz Breski. He's going up against Chase Sherman, who is a part of a good camp in Kilcliffe FC. You would think that his wrestling is getting better, but I just think there's sometimes like it's so tough for, for some people to develop when you, they haven't shown signs of developing. And that's kind of what I look at Chase Sherman. It's like he would have he would have learned by now. He could defend some, but like even in, in solid matchups, I just don't think like he's a good fighter. The only time he's defended a good amount of takedowns was against Parker Porter where he defended seven. Parker's more of a jiu-jitsu guy, not a wrestling ace like Carl Williams is. So – for me, it's a Carl Williams play. It's a hell no to Chase Sherman at 8,800. I'm not playing that. But Carl Williams, I, I was really hoping that his salary wasn't 9,500 because, like, I want to play him. But it's, this is kind of like that tough spot where it's like maybe he Chase, – Chase isn't probably not going to be as good as Lukasz Breski is was at getting back to his feet. So I think that this could be a lot more control time, a, loss, a lot less takedowns. Uh, he could probably hit the five takedown mark. Um, I, I hope that Williams can pick up a finish here in round one and round two. 
with ground and pound. Totally possible. Chase Sherman it just is a complete fish out of water when it hits the mat. So give me Carl Williams. Give me no Chase Sherman at 8,800. If you want to be different, by all means, go ahead. Good luck. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm going to say Carl Williams picks this one up. Look, you know I love to play 20 max contests. I'll put Chase Sherman in one lineup. I'm surprised one. I I mean, look, I, my, my expectation is this. He just gets taken down. He gets stopped. But I'm like, you know what? Let me just have one lineup that's got him in there. Because, look, if Chase Sherman goes out there, and, and let's just say he knocks him out in the first round, that's your key to being optimal right there. I mean, how many yeah, times I mean, he, every week we, we see there's a fight where for whatever reason, we just, we, we make that thought of, I'm just not getting there. I'm not getting there. Yep. Um, Holly home a couple weeks ago on the San Antonio oh car. I didn't get I there. We, 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 we were clearly wrong in that, but you know, it, it's just one of those things of like, like, look, if I'm playing single entry, you know, if I'm throwing some bullets in some various contests, am I putting Chase Sherman in there? Hell to the no. Why would <laughs> you? Why would you? Like, if I yeah. sat there and said, hey, uh, Pete, uh, I'm going in this uh, X dollar single entry and uh, I'm starting my life with Chase Sherman. You might go, hey, bro, I'm the one not getting sleep over here. Uh, you need to tell me something? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You have, what's going on over there, Jason? Why are you Why are you going that route? I think like, the Jason, only uh, Jason be like you'd be like chasing um drinking a little too much tonight like you yeah, you, that, you, you, you little hammer making lineups yeah what's in that diet coke uh i will say that the the one performance that sticks out on the page and it's like oh okay well it's possible is is chase sherman's third round tko victory over jared bandera you know um bandera's not really good but you don't have to be good if you're tired and if Carl yeah. Williams is so exhausted, he can get TKO'd that way. Um, he did pick up a knockdown against Jaron Vendera. He did score 109 in that fight. So shoulder shrug, I'm still saying Carl Williams. Uh, next up, we got Lupi Godinez taking on Cynthia Calvillo. Lupi Godinez, a minus 270 betting favorite, plus 220 for Calvillo. 9200 for Godinez on DK. $21 on FanDuel for Calvillo. 7000 on DK. $11 on FanDuel. And, and this is, I think, one of those situations where you talk about game theory, Pete, and you look at that ownership of Lupi Godinez and saying, okay, Overall, Cynthia Calvillo has been able to stop takedowns, but she really hasn't gone up against someone that really has pressured those takedowns the way Loopy could. And uh, we all know you're uh, we we all know you're the captain of, of Syndicate MMA over there, or not? Yeah. Definitely not. So uh, what I will say is that Loopy Godinez needs to go back out there to to doing what brought her to the dance. You know, she only attempted three takedowns against Angela Hill. It's because Angela Hill was hitting her with straight punches and all combinations galore. And, you know, your ego was put into check. And it's like, you know, why try to prove you're a better striker than Angela Hill? You're not. So she went 8 of 8 in a takedown apartment against Ariana Conor-Losi, 5 of 12 against Loma Lupumi, 2 of 15 against Luana Carolina. She lost that one. Uh, couldn't really get it going. But I, I will say that we have a fighter in Cynthia Calvillo who hasn't looked good in a very long time. She lost the split decision to Nina uh, Ansaroff. She went three of six in the takedown department. I'm interested to see who's going to be the better grappler here. I feel like Lupi Godinez is the better wrestler of the two, and I think that Cynthia Calvillo might have the better jujitsu of the two. So we need Lupi to take her down, if she does take her down, and avoid the scrambles and avoid getting her back taken. 
Um, I will never exclude a uh, women's mixed martial artist in an underdog situation from my player pool. Uh, despite how poor she's looked at 7,000, she has fought the better competition. Um, and this is a fighter that we, you know a lot of people thought, including myself, that she'd be within the top 10, top five for a decent amount of time. And you know her career, her career really stalled out. So I'm going to be still going with Lupi Godinez here. I think that I'm just going to be siding with youth, the athleticism, the takedowns. She's just more, much more explosive than Cynthia Calvillo, who I think is kind of like stuck in second gear. So uh, a fight that I'm not really prioritizing, though. I might even, uh, I'm going to be very underweight to the field. Um, but it's kind of hard when you see those takedown numbers of of Lupi Godinez. It's just. Does she go to that strategy in this yeah. in this particular matchup or not? I think that she does it, but she does it methodically. So uh, I'm picking Lupi Godinez to win here. Don't like the price tag. Um, get to a little bit of Cynthia Calvillo. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's more kind of for me. It'll be an ownership play more than anything else. Yeah. Of potentially getting Lupi Godinez based on what some of the other ownership of those nine thousand fighters are getting there. Next up, we got uh, Bahamandes and Ogden Bahamandes at minus three fifty betting favorite plus two seventy five for Trey Ogden over uh, for DraftKings. Bahamandes is ninety four hundred. He's twenty two dollars on Fanduel for Ogden sixty eight hundred on DK ten dollars on Fanduel. Pete, which thoughts? I don't hate the punt play of Trey Ogden because anytime we have a 6,000 fighter that has takedown upside, you can't uncheck them. You can't because they can do so much in a in a loss even that they can make it into the optimal lineup. And them at 6,000 in a loss getting 50, 60 points because of takedowns um, allows you to get three, maybe 9,000 options, unlike a lot of other constructions. So uh, 6,000 Trey Ogden is going to be a part of my player pool, but I'm a big Ignacio Bajomondes guy. Um, I, I think that the performance against Roosevelt Roberts was, was career best. Um, he defended 12 takedowns and then he picked Roosevelt Roberts apart. Roosevelt Roberts, a guy that I thought was pretty decent. And then it's like, man, he stalled out too, but he was a good submission guy. He could mix in takedowns. He could throw heavy, heavy hands. Um, and then he got hit with a spin and hook kick and he was knocked out. It was one of the best knockouts we've seen. Um, you know, to see Ignacio Bajomondes pick up a third round submission over Rongju, I thought that was impressive as well. And he defended three takedowns. So if I'm Trey Ogden, you better be shooting for your life because on the outside, you know, hand fighting, how he likes to hand fight and then throw his, his punches down the middle. I think that he's going to be getting kicked, um, into oblivion. And I think that he's going to just get lit up like a Christmas tree in the striking department. I think he's a good striker. But I think that Bahamondes is a next-level striker. So the best way for Trey Ogden to pick up a win is to incorporate takedowns. And, you know, he did lose to Jordan Levitt, but Jordan Levitt's a pretty good jiu-jitsu guy. Um, but, you know, going one of nine against Daniel Zellhuber, he needs to get better takedown numbers than that against Ignacio Bahamondes if he wants to pick up this win. So I'm pretty confident Bahamondes goes out there and, and just puts another feather in his cap and route to a victory. Next up, we got Darren Becky and Garcia. Darren Becky minus one eighty betting fair minus one fifty two uh, for Garcia. Eight nine hundred for Darren Becky on DK. Seventeen dollars on Fanduel. Garcia seventy three hundred on DK. Fourteen dollars on Fanduel. Pete, what's your thoughts? Yeah, if you're looking on on paper, it looks like Steve Garcia should be a, a you know an underdog to select because his numbers, his strikes landing per minute, sits at five point one five, and uh, Nuran Becky is two point one seven. Uh, Garcia only absorbs 2.5, whereas Shailan Nurebeka absorbs 2.93. So the striking differential favors Steve Garcia, and I do think that that's fair. 
Um, but what I will say is despite the six inch reach advantage for Steve Garcia, it says that he has a hundred percent takedown defense, which is kind of tricky. And I don't necessarily agree with it because, uh, Steve Garcia had his back taken for large, large periods of time against Luis Pena. So that's why you got, you got to dive into these numbers and technically he didn't, you know, get rewarded the takedowns or awarded the takedowns. Um, but he was in a horrible compromising position with, you know, Luis Pena on his back for the whole, you know, the whole fight. I think that Shai Lan is a talented and more well-rounded mixed martial artist than Steve Garcia. He went two of 14 in the takedown department against Josh Kulabau, who's a damn good fighter, four of eight against Sean Soriano, three of six against TJ Brown. And then that quick first round finish against Eric Minner. So, Shailan at 8,900 is one of those guys I circled because if you go and you look at Steve Garcia's UFC record, he lost to Luis Pena. Okay, we've already talked about that. You know, had to, you know, withstand some adversity and come back against Charlie Ontiveros. Ontiveros is not a UFC talented fighter. Got knocked out pretty viciously against Mahashate. And then against, uh, you know, the teenager and Chase Hooper. It's like, you know, he was he's a one-trick pony and got completely exposed in that matchup. So level of competition, I would say size with Shailan or Rebecca, Sean Soriano, TJ Brown, Derek Minner, Josh Kulabau are much better than those, you know, four fighters that Steve Garcia has faced. I like Shailan or Rebecca here. I circled them. Um, Garcia has that power, but I think the better minute winner is, is Shailan or Rebecca, and I think he's going to get a pretty decisive win. And then, of course, our first fight tonight will be a female matchup that uh, I don't know what FanDuel was doing. They made these salaries, but we'll tell you, uh, very much broken over there on FanDuel. If you do play over there on FanDuel, you got uh, Jacqueline taking on Sam. Jacqueline, a minus 270 betting favorite, plus 220 for Sam. Over on DK, 9000 for Jacqueline. She's $11 on FanDuel. Uh, Sam, 7200 on DK, $12 on FanDuel. So they're where you know the broken price tag is over there. So if you're playing on FanDuel, it's going to be kind of really hard to get away from Jacqueline here. Um, you know, Pete, what's your thoughts? I wish I could play on FanDuel because I think that it's just play Jacqueline uh, Amarim and move on. Jacqueline Amarim is one of the one of the, the brightest prospects we have from IBJJF, and uh, she's a very, very talented submission artist. She's a prolific finisher, and usually you don't see finishers – that often with, you know, within women's MMA, you know, shooting up the rankings so much. And we have a fighter in Sam Hughes, who's a tough out. She's a tough out. She's out of Fortis MMA. So Saif Saud's going to strategize and come up with a good game plan. But at the end of the day, Sam Hughes has to, you know, really go out there and implement the game plan, avoid the dangerous submission attempts of Jacqueline Amarim. And that's what I'm, I just think that the jujitsu skill set is completely different. The only person who's ever attempted a submission in the UFC against Sam Hughes was Luana Pinheiro. And, you know, I I think that this girl, Jacqueline Amarim, has better jiu-jitsu than anybody Sam Hughes has faced inside the UFC. I think she's going to find a, a, you know, a, a finish within round one or round two. But octagon jitters are a real thing. We don't know how she's going to look outside of round one. She hasn't really been, or she hasn't been at all. So, like, what happens if Sam Hughes, you know, weathers the storm and, and then does what Sam Hughes, in typical Sam Hughes fashion of, of coming back in round two and round three and, you know, beating the hell out of Estela Nunez, finishing Elise Reed. You know, she can get takedowns, and she could also use her wrestling to keep it on the feet. 
on the feet, I do think that the advantage will reside with Sam Hughes slightly. Um, I think that Jacqueline Armarim is just very tricky, and she's a back taker. She can throw up arm bars, just very tricky entries, even if she gets put on her back. I, I think that we can see arm bar from guard all day long. So I'm in love with the price tag at 9000 I think it's a she has the potential to get that quick win bonus. She really does. And um, the faster she goes and fights at the higher pace, mm-hmm. the more likely her opponent is to make mistakes. So I, I kind of think that's an interesting way to go about her debut is just go out there hot and heavy in hopes that Sam Hughes makes a mistake and capitalize it like that. So I don't hate the Sam Hughes underdog play. She's a dog. She's she'll she'll fight for your dollar. It's women's MMA. I just got done saying you can't count out an underdog in women's MMA. I agree. You, you can't. Um, but I, I'm pretty aggressive in Jacqueline Armareem here at 9,000, mainly because of the the roster construction and of how I'm boxing myself in with some of these salaries. I tell you, it's very concentrated. I'm not going to be doing a 150 max this week, Jason. And you know I always do a 150. I'm just not. I, I'm just going to stick to a 20 max this week. Not in love with it from for DFS-wise, but much more of a – a betting and and you know pleasure type of car just sitting back watching it take a fight by fight maybe putting together some parlays and whatnot so yeah um you know it, it's it's going to be a really good card to watch and i can't wait if you guys are excited about it please smash that like button let's get us over 100 likes that'd be fantastic in addition to that please make sure you subscribe to the channel so you guys don't miss anything and the best part about it join our you know free to join discord the link is in our description. We have tons of conversation. Be a part of the community. And it's nice to go back and forth and see where everybody else is on some of these fights. Oh, let's get our straight up fight picks here. Uh, first up, main event. Uh, give me Izzy. Give me Pereira. I'll go Gilbert Burns. Burns. Yeah, I'm going Burns. Give me underdog number one, Rob Font. Give me, give me Rob Font. Give me underdog number two, Santiago Ponzinibbio. Yeah, no. Hell no. Give me Kevin Holland. Get out of here. <laughs> give me Raul Rosas Jr. Yeah, give me a Rosas. But I, I tell you, man, I think Christian, you got to circle him. Give me underdog number three, Chris Curtis. No. Gastelum. Uh, I will go Luna Pinero. Yeah, we're so different, and it's okay. This is why, listen, there are weeks when y'all got to just do a block of lineups listening to Jason. And you got to do a block of lineups listening to me. And then you got to do a block of lineups blending it because my man Jason's hot some weeks. And I'm hot some weeks too. But um, Jason's um, good. So Two weeks ago. I'm going to go Waterson. I'm going to go Waterson. Two weeks ago I screwed up. And I said, screw it. I'm going 100% Stephen Peterson. Well, that really worked oh, out. Oh, don't, 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 Jason. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Yeah. That was yeah. horrible. Oh God! Straight up horrible. He looked. It was like not the. And then he retires. It's like <laughs> I, I, at that uh, point, I didn't even look at my lamps anymore. It's like, what's the point? Yeah, there's no, no, there's I, no yeah. reason to look. Uh, give me Joe Pfeiffer. Okay, give me Mearshart. Uh, it's Carl Williams. Easy. Carl Williams. Godinez. Godinez. Bahamondes. Bahamondes. Noron Becky. Noron Becca. And I'll go Jacqueline. Jacqueline O'Marim. Uh, get uh, some Discord questions in here quick before we'll wrap things up here. Uh, value plays under DK, under 8K. Uh, for uh, me, I, 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 even though I like Joe Pfeiffer, I mean, GM3 has got to be in that equation. Watterson Gomez, I think, has got to be in that equation. You you brought up a great point uh, on Christian Rodriguez, Rob Font. Um, and, and in the main event, Alex, but hey, I think those are all kind of the, the ones that, that look at there. Oh, yeah, baby. 
Uh, let's see here. Sam with his uh, usual question here. His over under number is seven and a half. We got 13 fights. Uh, I'm I think that's under. I think that's overall a good number. Um, yeah, I'd probably say uh, lean up here. Uh, top two cash. Uh, for me, if I was going to go top two cash. Carl Williams. Wow. I just don't like how he took it on short notice. That's the only thing. I mean, like, God, if, if Burns just wasn't 9,600, I'd, I'd say Burns. Um, yeah. I think Jacqueline's my other one. Yeah. I'm going to go with Carl Williams as, as the one. Number two. I go. Damn, number two is tough. I'm going to go Alex Pereira, number two. Uh, top three GPPs. He also, you know, uh, to me, I'm just going to, I'm going to label this fights that I'm targeting, uh, GPPs, the main event. Um, I would say Rosas Rodriguez would be another one that I would target there. Um, Williams Sherman, just because of a, the takedown side of Carl Williams, but also could chase Sherman potentially catch him. Yeah. Imagine Sherman. Sherman's crazy. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. Um, leverage plays. Um, I think you got to look at Rob Font. Mm-hmm. If this is a decision card, Gilbert Burns. Not a lot of ownership there, and obviously that's all price. That's all price tag driven. Exactly. Um, top darts punts. Uh, a dart punt play for me is Santiago Ponzinibbio. Gonna be C Rod for me. Yeah. Um, optimal plays. Um, oof. I feel like Jack- Kevin Holland is, I, and I know yeah, you don't I like see that, yeah. I, I look at Jacqueline just because of that takedown upside of what mm-hmm. she could do potentially on the ground is the one that uh, that sticks out to me. So, I retract uh, my statement. I say Jacqueline. Yeah, I, I know someone's asked P about his PFL plays. I know he'll put that in the score here later on today, so be sure uh, to check that out. Of course, as always, appreciate you tuning in for our preview show for UFC, UFC 287. Of course, uh, if you can show your support by uh, hitting that thumbs up button, subscribing to the channel, I'd really appreciate that. If you're listening on the podcasting platforms, rate, review, subscribe. That We appreciate that as well. Pete, anything you want to uh, leave the listeners with? No, I mean, good luck. Good luck this weekend. Um, tune into the, you know, the Discord, and Jason and I go back and forth talking to everybody. It, it's fun going fight by fight. And, uh, yeah, what, what cards we got coming up? We got some good ones coming up. Um, I literally have no idea. You know, uh, well, you got the Holloway-Arnold Allen fight is next week, I want to say. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I live it on a very week by week basis here at Pete, but uh, I'll just I'll yeah. kind of throw it out there. Let's see here, yeah. Uh, Holloway Allen is next week. Uh, the following week, you have the uh, Bellator cards in Hawaii, most notably the Saturday card, the Friday card absolutely sucks. Um, <laughs> sorry, Bellator, but that's just the truth. Can we get can we get literally a better card for the fight for the troops? Seriously, can we get a better card? Uh, the Saturday card yeah, is, is really good. The one. worst card for the troops, oh god, dude, dude, they put a bad card for the troops. Carmouche, Carmouche and Deanna Bennett is your main event. Tim Johnson, Syed Saloma is your co-main event. Arlene Blinko, Sarah McMahon, Carl Moore, Alex Palazzi. What a what a thank you to. <laughs> but but then gonna, but yeah. then the next night you have Stotts, Mix, Borg, Horguchi, Aaron Pico's on that card. Is that for the troops too? No. The, the, oh my uh, the god! The Friday card god. is the one for the Friday card is the one for the troops. Oh my god! Really? Dude, dude. And then someone mentioned in the chat also Pavlich Blades comes up on the 22nd as well. Yeah. I, I can't wait. 
Let's yeah. ooh, and we got Barboza, Billy Quarantillo next week. That's a hell of a fight. Did you talk to Billy yet? I've not talked to Billy. I was going to hit him up today. Yeah, yeah, and I, I know Billy's done his whole camp here in Tampa. Nice. He hasn't. He hasn't cool. gone. He hasn't gone up to um, up to a Longo spot for this one. He's been. Mm. He's been here in Tampa. He's uh, he, he's just like you. He's a new father. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cool. He, uh, they had him. His wife had a child. I want to probably say within the last um, four months. I want to say. Okay. Cool. So yeah, he's yeah he's been uh, in fight camp still, and still weird hearing that. <laughs> it's still like, oh, oh shit, I am a dad. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's crazy, bro. It's like, I don't know. It's it's just weird. It's hard to like. It's, yeah. I yeah, it feels like was that long ago you FaceTime me and let me know, you know? <laughs> it feels yeah. like was that long ago. I know. Crazy, brother. But yeah, but as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in for the show here. And we'll be back next week to talk about that Arnold Allen Max Holloway card. And uh, of course, uh, be sure to check the show out on the podcasting platforms. <laughs>